Welcome to the Leadership of Fools. We are about to up anchor and set sail into the heady ocean of business dilemmas and discussions. Nothing's going to stop us. Today, we're tackling the prevalence of avoidance in teams and organisations, and especially how we can confront it. This conversation enables us to address avoiding taking risks, making decisions, and saying it as it is. We tackle gender differences and the great guy effect, Dibba dobbing culture, the need to keep people safe, and the role a monster and high school musical plays in avoidance. Today's episode involves Derek Humphrey-Smith and Carolyn McMahon. Derek is an experienced workplace relations lawyer and an ex-AFL umpire. Carolyn has led culture change and is a very experienced leader within the automotive industry. This is the podcast that dares to sail those murky waters of business dilemmas that could sink us all, but hopefully won't. We feel like our ship is pretty sturdy today. I'm not alone on the ship. That would be foolhardy. Uh, I've got a nice crew with me. I think they're nice. I like the look of them. As always, joining me, my first mate, it's Colin Beatty. Thanks very much, Captain Rick. (laughs) I didn't want to force you to call me Captain, but I was quietly hoping that the name would pop up from time to time and hopefully stick. Uh, I won't fire you if you don't call me Captain, but I will give you a stern warning. Uh, Colin, just to get us started, I'm going to give you a quick little rapid-fire question. What person, living or dead, would you want to participate in a Leadership of Fools conversation? Mm. This is kind of like a who would you have for dinner, but uh, in a podcasting scenario. Uh, This might sound really strange, but in the 1990s, I would have wanted Mm -hmm. uh, Mulder and Scully from the (laughs) X-Files. Then... I've always been fascinated by Einstein. I've mm-hmm. always, uh, I don't know, I just think he sounds like an intriguing character. And uh, one more, one more. Can you come back to me? Uh, no, you've got to answer right now. Okay. No, no, that's fine. I'll, you ruminate. Um, you do, now that you've mentioned Mulder and Scully, Colin, you yes. do have a bit of the bit of the Mulders about you. Thanks uh, very much. Like you're not, a bit of David Duchovny? Yeah. No, I don't think you look anything like David Duchovny, <laughs> just a lot like Mulder from <laughs> very different. David Duchovny transforms when he becomes... Special Agent Fox Mulder. Um, also here on the ship, please give our silent yet uh, energetic welcome to Carolyn McMahon. Hi, Rick. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's exactly the, the response I was hoping for. What I am going to throw at you is another little question. How would you best describe your reaction to being on this podcast, Carolyn? Surprise! <laughs> because Carolyn had no idea she was going to be on this podcast today. She was walking past the studio, and as is our want, we uh, we, we lassoed her in, and here she is. We're hoping she's got some uh, business experience to share with us. I'm quietly confident she does. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. For <laughs> no worries. Uh, and our final member on the ship of fools today, it is uh, Derek Humphrey Smith. Hello, Rick. I always have to check your name, even though you're sort of, you're like the brother I never had. Oh, is that lovely? <laughs> your hair looks good. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I, I've got a bit of the Einsteins about me at, at times. Um, Derek, here's your question. Yes. Uh, feel free to answer it. Uh, it would be very awkward if you don't. <laughs> what is one leadership lesson you wish you would have had early in your career? Ooh, what would little geez, Derek like to have known? Little tiny bat. Derek. Straight off the bat. Um, I think I would have. Uh, the lesson I, yeah, the lesson I wish I'd had would have been to look at the current leadership that you were stepping into, and perhaps taking 
more time to understand some of the nuances rather than just thinking I'll clear the decks and do it my way. I think a little more time spent on on what's the previous leadership, what's the legacy of the previous leadership. Mm-hmm. That's what I would have done to to me. help with transition or to. I think both understanding the recipients of leadership styles right. and how they've reacted in the past. Right. That's very helpful to. Um, in the way you tread, yes, in the transition, but also knowing who's your audience. Yeah, great. A um, bit more time on that, I think, is what I wish I'd known earlier. Nice. Stop stop coming in with your scorched earth policy, with your clean, <laughs> cleansing fire, just erasing the past. Yep. You've just Sometimes you need to, but you make an informed decision <laughs> yeah, yeah. on that. Really. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, well, thank you all for joining me on the Leadership of Fools here today. Uh, I appreciate it. It's some stormy weather ahead. Uh, we're going to hit at the topic. It's a good one. Why is avoidance so prevalent in organisation cultures and can you turn around an avoidant culture or team? Uh, I mean, if you refuse to answer this, that's going to kind of prove the point, isn't it? Um, You've really got to sort of throw yourself into this. Otherwise, we're avoiding the issue, uh, thus falling foul of the very thing we're trying to discuss. So, Rick, I'm going to do what I probably always do, which is not answer the question first up, but again... Just a little anecdote about... Colin's childhood. <laughs> no, no, not exactly, but some more context about it. So uh, I'm a consultant and I reckon uh, eight times out of ten uh, when I get to speak to leaders and uh, people in, say, OD-type roles or change-based roles, uh, the topic of avoidance comes up. So what uh, what is it avoidant of? Uh, it's avoidance around decision-making. Uh, avoidance around saying things as they really are, mm-hmm. uh, avoidance in taking risks. So um, I, I think in your question, the word, it's prevalent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would be intrigued if today we can, I don't think we'll be able to nail this exactly, but we can access some barriers or some causes and maybe some solutions around it. So eight times out of ten, that comes up in conversation, and then two times out of ten, they just sort of decided not to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We were going to bring just, it up, and just well, like, we just nah, don't nah. talk about it. It's not the time. Right. <laughs> Carolyn, do you recognise uh, either in your experience or your sense of organisational life the word avoidance? Mm, definitely, definitely. Um, and and for me, I think it comes back to sort of the Aussie mateship. He's a nice bloke, so I don't want to ruin the mateship I have with him. Right. right. Um, and I think uh, certainly over the, the, the you know, 20 or so years that I've been in business, that's the biggest um, obstacle right. that I see in our makeup and, and how we act with each other yep. that uh, uh, stops people from having those uh, courageous conversations. So, so Carolyn, on the the gender piece, which you've, I think, deliberately used, do you find that females are much more willing to um, perhaps not rely on that mateship piece? Do you think it's something that's male-centric or do you think it's just the Australian way? Um, so I think it's um, partly the Australian way, but it's also partly because the the organisation that I've worked in has predominantly been male. So that's mm. been my experience. Um, I think for women it's a different thing altogether because mm. for women, uh, in my experience, um, there's the more of the nurturing side and not wanting to upset anybody. Yep. And uh, But if I just think purely around 
my experience and in a male-dominated industry, that mateship sort of foundation um, has come to play over and over again. There's a bit of an Aussie business bro code going on. And that's stopping <laughs> stopping those honest conversations from coming out. Just don't talk about it, mate. Just don't talk about it. It's really well, interesting, he's a nice isn't guy. it? I mean, you know, he's yeah. a great guy. Oh, look, he does. He's not too, not very good yeah. at his job, but he's a great guy. Yeah. So it's a defence. <laughs> it's a defence to bad behaviour. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Apart from yeah. his total incompetence, he's excellent. Oh, he's, he's a great. Yeah, man. yeah. You know, he can't do his job probably, yeah. but that's a. You know, he's a yeah. nice guy. Yeah. And I guess that's the culture that we've been trying to change over a number of years mm. because. It shouldn't be based on whether someone's a nice person or not. It, it helps. So, so that makes it really difficult because you're, you're bumping up against not just an organisational culture, you're bumping up against possibly even a nation's culture, you know, set set up, you know, in terms of what mateship has meant. Like we've even had prime ministers talk about mateship mm, mm. is, you know, foundational to who we are. Uh, and that will be our next um, sort of splinter podcast. Will be the mateship of fools, where we just discuss the dilemmas inherent in mateship. It's going to be pretty exciting. And there are a few, there are a few dilemmas. We record every year at the Boxing Day test. That's all we do. Once, once a year, we we go to the MCG and we discuss mateship. I don't know. I mean, Derek, do you have? Uh, no, I can see it. Or can you understand where I'm coming? Yeah, from? Yeah, no, I can certainly see where you're coming from. I suppose. Mm. Um, having a, um, a very broad range of sectors and clients, certainly with whom I work. I, I think it's interesting, this avoidance issue, because I think um, it always comes back to change and um, people are just inherently fearful. I, I, I don't think this is culturally unique to Australia. I think there's an inherent fear of change and I think particularly with leaders who um, look at the status quo and kind of if they've had some responsibility for what it looks like at the moment. They're very fearful of making a change that will either um, make things worse, heaven forbid, or um, it just they cannot see how that may make things better. So they just are paralysed with fear of change and therefore it you know, results in a, you know... Uh, and, and I wonder whether it's... Um, I wonder whether it's those things and exposing myself... Um, so the moment I change or the moment someone comes in and changes something, I'm exposed as being incompetent, uh, having not done the right thing, having not been it. You know, and I think it, I'm even seeing this generationally right now. It's that sense of um, you have a generation very digitally savvy mm -hmm. and you have another older generation at sometimes resisting that, even though they inherently know it's a better way to go. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to get exposed. You know, am I going to be relevant anymore? Um, so there's an inherent fear. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. fear, I'd love to talk about, but I can't. I want to go back. I want to go back to mateship because <laughs> um, I think it's something that I don't know. I, I know I don't have the answers to it, but I'm really intrigued by it. Uh, it, it plays out in schoolyards. It plays out in communities. It plays out in clearly in organisations, mm -hmm. um, and it seems like it's about. I don't know, acceptance or, um, you know, am I part of that tribe? Yeah, and feelings and, and navigating the interconnectedness of people uh, in terms of the, the structure that we're working in uh, and 
we're always balancing what what are we willing to say and what feelings are we willing to hurt in order to improve um, and it's a risk and people aren't always willing to take that risk to hurt feelings in order to improve situations mm. and is that a is that a more male thing is that a more of a um, you know here I am with four yeah, yeah. four guys <laughs> yes, yeah. is that something that is uh, hardwired in you, that is ingrained in you, that... You would say that, I, I guess, I, I see predominantly the stereotype, at least, is that males will avoid talk, having those tough conversations around feelings or um, tough conversations with other people for that very reason and that it, that does seem to be stereotypically hardwired in. Um, but, of course, this is very general, um, you know, gender... Talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, so asterisks to that. Uh, there are exceptions mm. to all of these broad well, generalisations. I think there's a um, the no dobbing culture mm. is a really interesting part of the mateship piece, the, yep. Austra- the quintessentially Australian piece. I think that that's probably inhibited some Australian organisations from mm. flourishing where um, things have not come out. And I, and I think look, there's some really interesting stuff going on right at the moment with the certainly. Uh, Harvey Weinstein from a US perspective. But the Don Burke thing is fascinating in mm. terms of the Australian reaction and the backpedalling of leaders of that organisation mm. at the relevant time as to how much they either knew or didn't do or avoided mm. yeah. a difficult conversation with someone who was worth an absolute squillion mm. to that network's ratings at the time. I think that's it's a really good example of it. Yeah. And that dobbing culture, um, I've got a seven-and-a-half-year-old and he's the biggest dobber I've ever met. He yeah, I must dob- say, yeah, kids these days are dobbers. Uh, oh. I don't know what's changed since we were kids, guys, but dobbing is no longer do, frowned do, upon. Do you, call, do you call him for being a well, dibber dobber? Well, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I have to hold myself back from saying, mate, don't be such a dibber dobber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, so there's something in you that reacts to it as well. Like yes, it doesn't def- feel... Oh, mate, you shouldn't be dobbing so yeah, much. That's right. We all grew up with that dibber um, We all grew up in that that dibber dobbing was frowned upon across the board. Yes, uh, but definitely from a peer point of view, it was very like it seemed to be self regulated by your peers, like your siblings and and anything like sort of stamped dibber dobbing out really. Um, and and now because we were that gener- we were of that ilk and we were raised with that as parents, we're now frowning when our kids. Dib and Dibidob, we're like, what are you doing, kid? Oh, shame on you. But their peers don't seem to mind. It just seems to be par for the course. So maybe maybe Dibidobbing's coming back in, guys. Maybe there's an acceptance around Dibidobbing. Um... Yeah, I've always thought it's a theory around how the whistleblower status in Australia has evolved. I think mm. our dobbing culture... Um, having whistleblower protection mm. is kind of convenient. Yes, yes. there's sort of always the backdrop of, oh, there might be consequences for having raised a complaint about something, but it's really attractive as an Australian for somebody never to know with yeah. absolute anonymity that you were the one who dobbed. Absolutely. Because there are whole things that flow from it. So it's, mm. You won't be uh, celebrated, you'll be... Uh, no, mm. but I think there's also, it's the filter, Rick. I mean, going back to your the sort of schoolyard examples, is there's... Um, there's there's dobbing, yep. which I, I think sort of in my children I say, don't, don't be a dobber, there's no need mm. to get involved in that. But there are obviously some things in our makeup that, that are serious. There's such a gravity to them, we expect them to be, you know, I think, I think there are some that fall into that very important bracket. We expect there to be dobbing about. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Because you want honesty as well. Oh, it's, it's murky. <laughs> it is murky. It's hard to, <laughs> everyone's walking that fine line. Carolyn, can I go back to uh, 
the question I think you're asking us. Mm, mm. Uh, so I think about my own <laughs> – I smile because Rick in the – in the previous podcast, I've referred a lot to my childhood. I didn't actually expect this would be therapy for me, but it's... It's, it's basically my favourite part of the podcast, right. Colin. <laughs> and any chance we get to just find out more about you, I am just happy. Do you happy. think Colin was a dobber? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could hear a bit about this. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel yeah. it. I can feel yeah. the isolation now. Yeah. So um, uh, growing up in a, a small country town, I chose to... Uh, play football and basketball and uh, tennis and as much as I enjoyed those things. The triple threat. The triple threat. Wow. As much as I enjoyed, enjoyed them and I, and I did enjoy them, I did not choose the things that I now somewhat regret, which would have been uh, studying theatre or the arts, um, things that were naturally inherent in me and I'm discovering that the older I get. This was um, the very dilemma that Zac Efron's character faced in High School Musical. Really? So you should watch it and you'll probably relate. <laughs> so I should stop the conversation now and just go <laughs> just watch, yeah, watch yeah, that yeah. on my phone. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, well worth a look. That's right. So uh, kind of long story short, I, th- I learned survival techniques to survive in an environment that wasn't an, uh, inherently natural for me. So what is, what is that environment? The environment with 20 blokes around you are all showering together and uh, revving themselves up to go out and run out onto a football field. Um, Why are they showering before the the game? I'm just saying, when there are issues here, Cole, it's after the game you have the shower. (laughs) You've got to play clean. You've got to play clean. (laughs) (laughs) Hygiene is important out there on the field. (laughs) It's now all making making sense to me now. (laughs) I knew I was getting something wrong. So um, anyway. All right, boys, out of the shower. (laughs) Time for your Manny Petty. (laughs) That's great. I don't even know what I'm saying now, but it, <laughs> other than I think I think I'm I've learned survival instincts that play out today. Mm. They play out today. Like I know, uh, will I be accept, accepted by this group that I'm about to walk into? And especially if it's heavily male dominated, mm. uh, I know the techniques. I know the tricks. I know the way to speak. In fact, I sometimes pick up. I speak differently. Mm. Uh, so mm. I will drop a G or two. I mm. will tell a different story than... Anyway, so I think even though that's not always conscious, it's happening. You're a chameleon. Yeah. Colin the chameleon. <laughs> Who showers? <laughs> before, before, before sweat. <laughs> shower, sport, shower. That's right. It's just a, it's a sport sandwich. <laughs> well, showers are the bread. I think it's a leadership strength, though, if you've got, you know, as a chameleon, I think you've got to have... Uh, an ability to be able to engage with people at all levels from all backgrounds and I think um, the people who don't develop that mm. those different gears mm. of leadership mm. I yeah, think, yeah that's right they're um, they're not going to go very far I yeah, think they're right. you know they're very predictable and they're just slotted in and I think there's some you know some roles that I think um, have some uh, aspects to them that you know and I think if you look at the um, What's happening now with uh, in in some corporates where you're seeing more people with HR backgrounds moving into CEO roles mm-hmm. than we've ever seen before, where traditionally you had the CFO yes. as the sort of um, uh, way, the person in waiting for the CEO role, not always having the communication skills that are necessary to lead an organisation. I think that's I think that's a real change that's happening over the last five years. Derek, you you call it probably. 
as much as any leader I've met, meaning you call behaviour, you call your partners, you call your people around what's acceptable, what's not, um, that must take a toll. Um, There's probably two parts of the the question. You know, how how do you do that? Is that that just in your DNA or is it learned? And what toll does it take actually calling stuff that's inappropriate? Uh, I, I think, I think, I don't think it's in the DNA. I don't think I was very good at it before a long, and I'm probably not great at it even now, but I think you realise that these conversations are never nearly as difficult as you think they are. Every time you've prepared, every time I've prepared for a difficult conversation in my whole career, it's never been as difficult as I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Every time. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? I think you add a whole lot of layers to something that may not be there, but I'm kind of glad that I'm always thinking it's going to be more difficult rather than the other way. Right. Because when you get caught off guard, I think that's when you can be sloppy. Right. Um, Does it... um, uh, it's, I mean, it certainly can impact friendships um, yes. and partnerships are complicated, you know, co- complicated vehicles at the best of times. They don't have that um, comfort of a corporate hierarchy where it's clear, perhaps, mm. Carolyn, mm. in terms of where things, where, where things lie. I mm. think in a partnership where you are equal, um, having those conversations to say that sort of behaviour is not something that we stand for, it's a little more difficult because you don't have the natural benefit of a hierarchy mm, mm. Um, it's always easier with people who are perhaps lower down in the organization but yes when it's when it's somebody who's reflect you're, you're part of that group and they're reflecting behaviors you don't like that's a difficult conversation I'm sure I don't always have those conversations I think that's naturally you know you miss some of them and yeah. is there two types of avoidance that play out uh, the avoidance of a, on a personal level um, I guess uh, the, the people's flaws are you're not you're not having those difficult conversations with people to help improve them and is there <clears throat> avoidance around structural flaws in, or in organizational flaws where a business um might be it might be clear that there are parts of the business that aren't working effectively um and we could tackle it or we could just kind of just keep plugging along and is that an avoidance that plays out and why and why would it oh. Absolutely, on both counts. I think, <laughs> Carolyn, you would see them both, I would think, yeah, in corporate life. Yeah, I mean, you know, particularly the structural um, component and, you know, the, the, the number of years that you've plugged along with something because you either um, you, you have an avoidance at higher levels to, to make change because um, the, the, the high levels have implemented that structure and so yeah. they're just dead against changing it because yeah. that was their idea in the first place yeah, and yeah. why would you want to change yeah. it? Um, and and even individuals who perhaps aren't performing uh, to the level they should be and, you know, you want to keep giving them every opportunity, every opportunity. Good blokes. They're good blokes. <laughs> they're good blokes. Well <laughs> protected. That's right. Can I go back to the former? Um because we've talked a little bit about the latter, but the former is the idea that uh, I, sitting at the executive table, I made this decision, and while I remain at the executive table, I'm not going to call it, and no one else is going to call it, mm-hmm. even though it m- may no longer be relevant, like the, the structure I set up or the the hiring decision I made. We will continue to fax our clients. <laughs> <laughs> Faxing has worked for decades and will continue to do so. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. <laughs> so, which is an e- ego, fundamentally an ego mm. question. Mm. Uh, you know, do I have, am I robust enough to realise I'm, maybe I was, it was right at the time, but it's no longer right. Mm. Mm. But I've still stu- I'm still stuck yeah, on it. Or on others that. are actually avoiding because they see me in a position of power. 
Um, mm. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not, again, not answering it. I'm just intrigued as to yeah. what's at the heart of it. Spoilers, uh, Colin never answers anything. <laughs> <laughs> He's very clever. I, the chameleon. I think, I think it's the ego mm. side of things. I really do. I mean, um, why else would you not make yeah. the change? Yeah. Because so, it's, it's you, you know, you're protecting yourself, you're protecting what you've put in place and ego is a dirty word. So, so if you're making that call, I mean, you're, you're really saying, I have just wasted this organisation's money on this particular project or yeah. whatever it might yep. be for the last 10 years mm. and I'm now making the call that it doesn't work. You, um, you represent, you know, some pretty serious change um, in terms of... Um, Carolyn was recently promoted to a sort of director role um, and that was somewhat celebrated within your organisation, wasn't it? Like people actually went out of their way to say, yeah, you know, you're yeah. the first female definitely here yes, and yeah. one of the first across the globe. Would yeah, that be the case? Yeah, we think, think maybe the second. The second. Globally, yeah. Wow. Do we throw the term trailblazer around, Bill? <laughs> is, is, is that a phrase you've heard? <laughs> um, what... Pressure or or not? Does that place on you? Like, do you feel do you feel that? Um, not yet, right. not yet, because I'm only only seven months into the new role. Yeah, uh, and as you know, I'm I'm handling my old role as well. Yeah, at the same <gasps> time, double handling. You <laughs> say nothing, she can't do. <laughs> so she can't fax. I can't fax. <laughs> oh, she could if she had to. That's right. <laughs> like, I'm confident. Yeah. So, um, no, but certainly there's a different, um, I guess there's a different expectation I place on myself. Yeah. Um, I'm now in this this higher position. Yes. And therefore, um, not just uh, organisationally, but there's a, there's a wider or a, um, a broader expectation that I need to yeah. do things and um, champion different things yeah. given the position I now hold. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. So we've covered things like ego, fear, mateship. Um, they're probably big topics in their own right. I, I, I'm wondering what is the takeaway, what is the sense-making around this? Carolyn, your own experience, like what either equips you or others to be able to not avoid whether it's a decision or a, or a tough conversation? So talking about it, right? Talking about why we avoid things, right? Having conversations about what's so difficult about right. having the difficult conversation, right? Um, the more we talk about it, the more we explore what's difficult about it. Yeah. Um, the more we make it um, acceptable. Yeah. For yeah. those things to take place. Yeah. Then people warm to that. So we're norm- normalising We're normalising it. It, yeah. it is about retraining because yeah. in, in the world, the mysterious world that I come from in, uh, in improvisation, when we're working with newer improvisers, we often um, use a exercise called word at a time story mm-hmm. and we get newer improvisers um, who are just starting out to tell a, a story in pairs, one word at a time. And there's a phenomenon that, we, that we've that we noticed and um, we, we call it running away from the monster. Um, and it's if people are telling a story and they they find a, a monster in uh, or in any situation like a problem, their first instinct when they're starting out um, is to run away from the monster. 
they'll never face the monster. Uh, and you have to really train them and retrain them and, and point out that they're running away from the monster every time and get them to redo the story and face the beast, you know what I mean? Um, and it's just that um, it feels like it's, it is that fear and, um, and, and, and avoidance that plays into it. But um, I, I would say 100% of the time when people first do the exercise, they run from the monster. Yeah. They avoid the monster because uh, yeah. that's just the easiest option and it keeps them safe and they don't have to deal with the ramifications of facing the monster. Um, and I think that's something we work to train people around facing the monster because a lot more interesting things can obviously happen um, narratively if you face the monster. <laughs> most movies that you watch, most stories that you read is based around people facing the monster of one kind or another. Um, and so I think in, organisationally and structurally um, that probably lesson could play out and to great benefit. So I like both of those. So one is a, a retraining. Your piece, Carolyn, is a piece around... Let's normalise that we all are human and we, even though it might be slightly different for all of us, we've got something that's a barrier mm. to us mm. being more honest or taking more risks. Mm. Um, what's your sense, Derek? I think, uh, I think if you remove the options to avoid, so actually um, trying to find ways that the person who might have to have a particular conversation is left with no option but to have it. You have to do that gently and not in a manipulative way, but you need to make sure they don't have an ability to run away, to run away from the monster. Um, yeah. And at some point, I think you've just got to make sure it actually happens. Yeah. And then setting up, setting up that meeting to say, this time you're going to tell us how the meeting, how that conversation went. Right. And so they, sometime between there and when we have the feedback session. They must have had that conversation. Right. Mm. So that way nothing's left to chance. And I think sometimes um, if you give them an option, they'll always, to use your point, Rick, they will run away from that monster. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, th I think in my mind it's, it's actually retraining about what the monster is because our instinct is mo you see a monster, you run away from it, self-preservation. Um, and in improvisation we train ourselves to see the monster as an opportunity, as um, this is where the exciting, interesting stories happen. Is, yes. is, 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 that is the monster. Yeah. Um, and so we actually we seek out the monster. That's what yeah. we train ourselves can I, to do. Can I leverage that just for a moment? Because in organisational life, and Derek, you used the word change before, the monster is uh, in change resistance. Resistance is actually the monster. Now, resistance can take lots of different forms, including quite aggressive resistance or uh, passive resistance or undermining of you as the leader. Uh, without, with, without resistance, there is no change. So... Uh, what I find myself teaching a lot is this idea that that's the monster and actually you need that monster mm -hmm. to be able to make change. Mm -hmm. uh, without it, nothing's happening. Nothing's, nothing's different. So I actually really like that sort of as a metaphor to leverage off. Yep. Um, Lock yeah. it in. Lock it in. It's a leverageable Sorry. metaphor. Yeah. Asking the that we're question, famous for. <laughs> but asking the question as well of that person who's probably thinking of all the various options available, asking the question, what will happen if you don't do this? Yes. Is a really critical question. Which because is often then a greater they, risk. It's, <laughs> that's exactly right. If, if, if you don't do anything, what's happening to this monster that's either growing, becoming more influential? Is it, a, for example, a toxin in a workplace, for example, yeah. a particular individual that's mm -hmm. having influences in all the wrong ways? Mm -hmm. If we keep that, allowing that to occur, yeah. what else is going to happen? And once they've worked that through and they've got support from a leadership team to have the conversation, generally I think people will have it. 
I really love. I'm loving what I'm hearing. That, that that's really practical advice. Like, and but as a leader, you have a responsibility to make sure you do follow through around it. You've mm. got it. Uh, that's mm. really critical. The other thing that I think is even one extra extension is consequences in organisations uh, reverberate. So when I made a decision or when I spoke up to power, uh, what was the actual consequence um, to me? But more importantly, everyone noticed that. Mm -hmm. Either I was celebrated or ignored or even worse. Colin's um, a dibba-dobba. That's right. A dibba Colin's That's right. A dibba so, again, I think, I think this, the symbolism of what happens next when someone takes a risk, and the risk might be to speak up, uh, is really, really telling. Mm -hmm. uh, can I go back to ego? Uh, is it skyhooks? What is the name of the... Is it ego yeah. is not a dirty word or uh, ego is a dirty word? I think ego is not a dirty word. If I know Skyhooks... <laughs> like you do. Shell, yeah. Shell wouldn't have wanted it they as a dirty were, word. Yeah. They were not afraid of ego. They embraced ego. Right. Um, and so if they were saying ego is a dirty word, I would be surprised. <laughs> I'm really curious now what that song actually meant. <laughs> that, Just that's saying, it, though. don't that's be afraid to love yourself. <laughs> Learning to love yourself. That's <laughs> a different song entirely. And but Karen, I, feel like you, I noticed you clear. writing something down. What did you end up writing down? Um, face the monster. Ah, yeah, yeah. Is that the name it's, of the podcast? It, it's a leverageable metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, what say you? I like the monster. I think this is good. Yeah. Facing the monster. It's yes. not a term I've ever used before, so uh, I'll try to remember to attribute it to you, Rick. No worries. <laughs> yes, all improv lessons on this podcast were invented and trademarked by me. I think we've I think we've answered it. I'm looking at it again. Why is avoidance so prevalent in organisation cultures? And I think we touched on some of the big drivers of that around that. Yeah, and can, can you turn around a team or a culture that is highly avoidant? And in a way, we've come up with at least some strategies. Yeah, so I think people need to feel safe though. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think it's this sense of comfort and safety and just knowing that. Um, Collectively, yes, they're the person who's having to have it, but we're behind you, and and you're going to go and have that conversation, and you're going to have this feedback session about how it went. So you can go and with a big feels stick. Feels very safe. You can go in with a big stick, but you also need safety nets. Big sticks and safety nets. That's okay. our. Okay. Can I just say one more quick thing because it circles right back to where we started. I also think about my uh, strongest relationships now: friendships, mateships. So it almost goes back to the question that to redefine what friendship, mateship, relationships actually mean, especially in a workplace mm, mm. where it's that kind of sense of um, respect is more important than being liked, um, those types of things. Yeah, yeah. And I think just, just finally to Derek's point, um, making a safe environment but also role modelling that so people see um, that it can be done without yeah. dire consequence, that it, that it can be... Um, done respectfully, um, yeah. that role modelling uh, is so important as a leader to, to demonstrate what you want to give others the uh, permission to do. Yeah. That's great. Absolutely, Absolutely agree. Beautiful. And my takeaway is I think the best um, process to go, to go down for this situation is have a shower, face the monster, have a shower. And I think if you follow those that simple practice, you're gonna you're gonna really tackle that avoidance culture. Uh, thank you for joining me on the Leadership of Fools. You've been a sturdy crew, and we have sailed those waters. And I thank you kindly. After listening, we decided to rename this one "Face the Monster." The mentoring hits. Number one, we agree there is risk in saying something. 
but we also think there is potentially greater risk in not saying something. Number two, the monster, the conflict, the resistance, it's actually where the interesting things happen. And we suspect the monster is never quite as bad as we make it out to be. Number three, leaders can remove options to avoid. And the examples of these options are included on our website. Thanks for listening. Leadership of Fools is a Somersault production. Somersault works with organisations through transformation and growth. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or wherever you do your listening. And don't forget to visit leadershipoffools.com.